Hey everybody, it's Kendall from Recording Lounge. It is August 3rd, 2015. Uh, thanks for joining us today on the podcast. have got an interesting topic today um, entitled, How to Get Better. Now, I get this question sometimes in the form of many questions, but uh, today I wanted to talk about how do you actually get better at audio? And how do you enhance your learning experience? We have so much uh, information out there, which there actually is a term for now. It's called infobesity. That is a real term, guys. <laughs> I'm not joking you. Uh, infobesity, which basically means an overload of information. Uh, we have so much information now. It can be really overwhelming. Um, so today I wanted to talk a little bit about some advice for... Uh, getting better at audio and 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 improving your skills. So let's just jump right into it. So the first thing that I recommend you do is to admit your weaknesses. Now, it's not that hard to really do. Most of us have things that we struggle with, things that we know that we struggle with. But what can sometimes be hard to do is actually find, you know, the true weakness. So you might say, well, I'm not that good at mixing. It's like, okay, well, that might be your big weakness, but what's, why? What What's holding you back specifically? Is it that you're not good at, you know, uh, EQ or compression or effects, or are you not good at any of those things? Or, you know, try to get as specific as you can with, with your weakness. Um, the advice I give for people, let's talk about recording and mixing. Okay, this, these are some good litmus tests to try to figure out where your problems are. Let's, let's, let's go backwards. Let's start with mixing first. So a good test uh, to see how, um, where, where your weaknesses are is to try to mix a song. Start with, the, start with something that has the best raw tracks that you can, you can possibly get um, and try to mix it and mix it in stages. So start by mixing one with just uh, volumes and pans. And if that's good, you know, take it to the car or to headphones or other places. Try to mix it with just those things. No EQs, no compressors, no effects, nothing. Just volumes and pans. And see how it sounds elsewhere. Um, is it still good? Do you seem to be getting pretty close? I know you might need EQ, but does it seem like, did you screw it up royally, Okay. No? Okay. Well, then let's move on to EQ. So then, go back to your mix and add EQ. No, don't add any compression. Don't add any reverb. Don't, you know what I mean? You can still adjust the faders and pans and whatnot, but just add EQ and then listen to it again on other systems, on in the car. Uh, ha, you know, have someone else listen to it. Um, it. Is it starting to sound good or is it starting to kind of fall apart? Uh, and if it's starting to fall apart, you could maybe say, well, uh, maybe... EQ is my weakness. Maybe I, I thought I had that solid, but maybe I don't. If, if you feel like that's still pretty good, then maybe move on to compression. You know, and if you listen to the mix again on the other systems and you think, wow, that, that's really where my mix starts to fall apart and not sound good. So, so limit yourself and try to process in stages and, and just use it as a test. Again, don't, don't necessarily do this on a client's project to, you know, but do it on your own time when you're just testing and trying to improve. And then you can try to find, you know, and, and even if you find that you're not very good at EQ or whatever, keep going. Okay. Now it's really getting bad with compression. So clearly, clearly I struggle with EQ and compression and I really struggle with effects because the effects were just terrible. 
Um, things like, you know what I mean? You got to be honest with yourself. You can't uh, improve something if you don't know what it is. And if you won't, if you're not willing to admit your problems. Um, the other thing that you can do is send your mixes to other people and be, you know, throw your ego out the window and get them to give you advice. Now, I recommend sending your mixes to somebody that you think is better than you. Uh, you know, not just someone that is a friend or maybe equal on par. I mean, try to try to have a connection with somebody um, that you can send your mixes to that can give you advice. And uh, it, again, you got to be careful because everyone's going to hear a mix slightly differently. But uh, you can, if, if you ask a good question, then you might be able to get a good answer. Um, so you got to admit your weaknesses first, work on the things that you struggle with, get feedback and listen on other systems. Let non-musicians hear it. You know, I love letting my wife listen to things because she might say something that seems so simple, uh, but it, it triggers all these things in my brain. She might be like, that kick drum's really loud. And you might have gone mixing this whole time and thinking, yeah, that kick drum's really bumping. It sounds great. But then, you know, someone else listens to it, a non-musician listens to it, and they're just like, huh, that kick drum seems really, like, overly loud. And it's like, wow. I, you know, I, I love the quote from uh, Mixer Man, and he, he says, if, if somebody notices the mix, then it's not a good mix. Uh, you know, and, and that he's probably specifically talking about, you know, non-engineer, non-musician, like, you know, we're talking about like the average person, like the average person can be like that vocal sounds harsh that then you don't want that. Okay. You want to remove the mix from the problem. You want the song to shine through. You don't want it to sound like a mix. You want it to sound like a song. Uh, you want people to not notice the mix. So if somebody happens, if the, if an average person, uh, you know, listens to your mix and says that vocals really harsh, uh, you know, that's, that's, it probably is harsh then if they're going to say that, um, so, admit your weaknesses and and improve on them. Work on them. Practice them. Focus on them. Read about them. Try to be specific. You know, uh, which which is great because it leads me into my next point, number two, which is ask the right question. Okay, so all of us at some point are going to have questions that we need answered, either from other people, other you know colleagues, friends. Um, people on forums, people on, you know, uh, me, for example, you know, people ask me questions all the time. They email me questions and I love getting questions and I love helping people. Um, but learn to ask the right question to get the answer that you really want. Uh, I'll give you an example of a bad question. A bad question might be, do you have any tips for mixing rock music? Okay. You might be able to figure out why that's a bad question. First of all, uh, it, it's so general. It's kind of like asking, do you have any tips for cooking? I mean, it's so, such a, it, it's almost unanswerable. It is unanswerable because it's like, well, yes, I have millions of tips for mixing rock music, but what, you know, what's the, what's the specifics here? And, and you could even get more specific than, you know, asking something like, uh, do you have any tips for mixing rock drums? Okay. That's a little better. Um, because you're starting to get into like an instrument 
and a, a, a genre and you're kind of like, okay, but an, an even better question, I know it seems specific, but an even better question might be like, you know, I'm mixing a rock song and I'm having trouble getting my snare to cut the way that I want. Uh, do you have any tips? That's a very specific, direct question, you know, that, uh, that there are at least a handful of answers for that might work. Um, here's an example of another bad question. You know, how do I compress a vocal? Okay. Or how do I EQ a snare or how do I EQ a bass? Okay. Those are bad questions. Why? Because it's impossible to know what you're listening to. And even if you send me an audio demo or send whoever, not necessarily me, but send whoever an audio demo to ask for that question, um, it doesn't really help because you're making a mix. You're not EQing a vocal. You're mixing a song. And so if your vocal sounds too bright, you know, typically a common a common EQ move is to add some top end to a vocal. Um, you know, that's kind of like a modern thing that a lot of people tend to... I tend to add top end to vocals. It's just not every vocal, but, you know, it seems fairly common. It's safe to say that it's common. Um, just to add the sort of airiness or breathiness or sort of, you know, upfront sound. Um, but if you recorded a vocal with a super bright mic, then adding top end would be the last thing I would recommend. I would sometimes even say, okay, it's a little too bright. You might need to take down some of the top end um, or add some more low end. It depends which one works better. Uh, and, and so it's impossible to answer a question like, how do I EQ a vocal or how, you know, and I, and it bothers me so much when I see tutorials on, on YouTube or whatever, or, or forum posts or, or articles like how to mix drums, how to, you know, EQ vocals, how to mix vocals when, you know, again, there's a fine line between tips on a specific example like here's an example of how i might eq a vocal and you're listening to the vocal and you see what they do to it that's one thing but setting saying a definitive like this is how you mix vocals is just idiotic to me it makes no sense this is how you mix drums this is how you mix bass um you know it, it, you just have to find what works for your specific situation. Because again, if you look at this situation, uh, having trouble EQing a vocal, what's the root problem? You don't really know what you're doing when it comes to EQ or when it comes to listening or when it comes to the context of your mix. Okay, that's the root problem. You're sitting there thinking, how do I EQ this vocal? And the root problem is that you're not listening to what it needs. You're not listening for what it needs. If you listen for what it needs, then you know what to do already. Because you're sitting there saying, well, the vocal's the center of attention. I need to make it sound like the center of attention. So do what it takes, whether that's a lot of EQ or a little bit of EQ, some, com some compression, and work the knobs until they sound good. And then build the mix around it. If you're not building the mix around it, you know, that's one of the main reasons why I advise people to start with the vocal early uh, in the mix, because you need something to be the reference point. And a lot of people will start a mix with the kick drum or with the drums. And it's like, okay, when you do that, you're saying, this is my reference point. And then your other decisions are made around that sound. And that's fine. But in my opinion, I feel like that reference point should be the vocal. Um, now, 
there are some cases where the vocal and the drums make sense to be both focal points. Uh, rock music is pretty common, but still, I advise getting the vocal in there early. Anyway, so ask the right questions, okay? When you ask a question, something general like, how do I mix rock drums? You're going to get a lot of backlash on a forum uh, because it's the wrong question. Okay, the, a better question is to ask something specific, something, you know, very clear, you know, give as much information as you possibly can to help whoever you're asking give you a specific answer. Which leads me to number three. Um, avoid any presets or cheat sheets or shortcuts of any kind when it comes to uh, mixing. If you're trying to get better, if you're trying to stay uh, exactly where you are and never improve, then sure, go ahead and use presets. But I highly, highly advise you to avoid presets. I'm specifically talking about like plugins um, at all costs, okay? Uh, now, sure, there are certain plugins like reverbs and delays where uh, it, it's some of those plugins can be very dense and hard to navigate. Uh, and, it, and it's useful to be able to flip through some presets to see kind of what, what it can do and like, okay what can this thing really accomplish? You know, how, how does it sound when on long reverbs and short, it's nice to be able to use to audition things. But when it comes to something like EQ or compression, it's absolutely insane to me to use EQ or compression presets for those things. It's just insane. Um, cause I have, you know, you have no, how did, <laughs> I mean, is it assuming that the stuff was recorded with no EQ or compression? Was Is it assuming that, like on a guitar preset, is it assuming that it's a Les Paul or something? Like how can it possibly, you know, be accurate for, for your situation? And some people might say things like, oh, it's just a starting point. It's like, but it's going to bias you. You need to just learn how to use an EQ and learn how to listen and learn to just start from scratch on everything. And, you know, same with compression. How can it possibly be a do-it-all situation for snare or whatever if you start adding a snare preset to compression? I mean, that doesn't teach you anything. All it teaches you to do is copy what other people do, and even still, it might not work. So, and some people will just leave it. Like, well, that's a snare preset, so... You know, I put that on my snare. It's like, why? Why did you do that? Well, I don't know. It sounded pretty good. But you know what I mean? I think you get what I'm saying. Is Avoid presets whenever possible and start from scratch. You know, there's no such thing as mix by number. You know, you can't... It, if, that, if it were all that easy and if that actually worked, then that's what... You know, you, you, this wouldn't even be a career anymore, okay? You I mean, you could just... Any guy in his bedroom could pop on the presets and make Grammy-winning records. I mean, if it were really that easy, right? Um, so, let's move on. Number four, uh, time. As much as I hate to admit it, as much as you know that it's just... This stuff takes time, all right? And I and I know that it sucks that it takes so much time. I know that uh, it, it, it can take an inordinate amount of time to even get to a point when you're satisfied. Um, but the truth is, this is, a, this is something that requires time. It requires patience, it requires failure, and it requires success. Um, you have to, I mean, experience is king when it comes to this. 
you know, there's no... A big part about audio to keep in mind is that when you hear something like audio engineering or mixing or mastering, the, these three things here, okay, the, these are not three skills, engineering, mixing, mastering, okay? These are thousands of small skills, thousands of small skills grouped into three skill sets, okay? Um, you know, engineering is a skill set, not a skill, Um you know, if you talk about making, you know, being a mix engineer, for example, that's a lot more than just like knowing how to mix. Like it's EQ and compression and, you know, fader balances and panning and reverb and delay and also understanding music and feel and groove and timing and like a million small little things and editing even maybe, you know, and and arrangement and music and Music theory, perhaps. I mean, it can be a combination of all kinds of different things. So don't don't condense it into just like, well, I'm not very good at mixing and, and I need to get better at it. It's like, no, be specific about what your problem is. Um, these things take time to get better at. So you have to practice. You have to get better. You have to get work to work on. Um, and I advise, you know, I advise you to not just... Um, not just say, oh, I need to get better at it, and then just, like, hope that over time you'll get better. Like, actually take some time and work on things, even if you're not getting paid for it. You know, work on things on your own. Try to get better at compression or EQ. Test yourself. Make little reference mixes and take them to the car. You know, try. Stay up late and experiment with reverbs and delays and maybe come up with some cool patches that you might try on a mix and see if they work uh and if they don't then you know don't necessarily delete them but keep them around maybe try them on some other mix um you know these things need time uh there's a there's a common uh thing that's quoted uh, an adage that's quoted about how 10,000 hours experience with something makes you you know proficient or an expert or achieve mastery uh, a lot of people think that this was created by Malcolm Gladwell, the author, a uh, fantastic author, by the way. Um, but in fact, it was more gleaned from a, uh, study done on concert violinists. And, um, you know, I don't think that when it comes to, I, I think that's a poor measure. I don't think that anyone should really measure, um, someone's success by how, mu- by how much time or how little time it took them to, to get it. Now it is an interesting you know, experiment to see, well, it seems like to be good, you have to have at least 10,000 hours until you're good. Um, but, you know, what if it takes you 11,000 or 25,000? Uh, you know, what if you never get good? There are people that do it their entire lives and never get that good. You know, I've met some musicians that are 50, 60 years old that are incredible. And I've met some that have been playing just as long that are mediocre at best. Uh, What really counts is how much time you put in and how much dedicated quality time you put in. Um, Because just sort of doing it passively, just sort of as a hobby or whatever, you might not get nearly as good as if you really are a student of it. If you really are trying and setting aside time to work on it and get better at it. Uh, In my case... I, you know, this is my job and I'm sort of forced to get better at it. I'm challenged by artists to get the best sounds that I can. And after every project, I try to make it a point to 
look back at the project and say, you know, this goes along with a point I made a couple uh, couple points ago about, you know, getting better at mixing. This is kind of what I do when I'm trying to get better at engineering. So after I finish a mix and I send it to a client and I think, wow, that mix sounds pretty good. I go back and I look at what I did um, in the mix and I think, is there anything that I could have done better in the recording stage that would have saved me time in the mix stage and would have sounded better? Uh, and you and you realize, okay, well, I, I ended up cutting out a lot of low end on those guitars um, or I ended up adding a lot of like 3K or 4K, 5K on those guitars I think, well, maybe I didn't use the right microphone or maybe I should have adjusted the amp better um, or maybe I should have, you know, uh, done this or that or maybe I had to DS the vocal a lot. Maybe I should have used a different microphone or uh, on this type of voice and try to learn from the mix things that you did um, and, and try to apply those to your recording as well. You know, wow, I had to really compress that acoustic guitar you know, I should have been more focused and said, hey, you need to play more evenly. Or if you were the one playing, you should have played it more evenly and tried to control your hand a little bit better. Um, or if you feel like that bass was a little out of control, you know, would it have been better if I had just automated it? Or would it have been better? You know, ask yourself these types of questions. Analyze your own work and drop the ego. Um Again, it all goes back to admitting your weaknesses and trying to trying to get better at them and asking the right questions to yourself as well. Um, so another thing is that when it comes to time, uh, this is an ever-evolving business, right? So I don't think anyone can ever really say like, well, I'm done learning. You listen to any any interview with any of the big name guys that are interviewed all the time they will pretty much all say, like, I'm always experimenting. I'm always learning. I'm always trying new things, trying new pieces of gear, trying new techniques, because it always comes back to that. Like, this is a, this is an art, right? It's not, it's not a, it's, well, it's, it's interesting because this is an art and a science. Um, you know, it's, it's very much uh, mixing and audio in general is very much like cooking to me in so many levels. Um, because, you know, if you talk about painting, I mean, yeah, there's kind of science to it, but it's mostly an art. Uh, but when it comes to something like cooking, it's like, well, it, it is a science. I mean, you cook things at this temperature and measure by weight or by volume or whatever, but there's also an art to it. Uh, the art of taste, essentially, you know, and what we have is the art of sound. I mean, we're dealing with arts of senses, right? And when it comes to audio, it's like, well, there's not necessarily... A point when you can say I have stopped I am good I am a master um, you know and even these guys that have been doing it for 50 years are still learning all the time they're adapting they're changing they're saying well crap I used to use this microphone all the time on snare until this mic came out and man it's changed everything and then I always had a problem getting good you know, vocal sounds, uh, but now that I found this microphone, I it just makes so much sense to me, and it sounds great on male vocals or whatever. Like, everything is evolving and changing and growing all the time. So never feel like you're done, okay? Which brings me to my last point, which is you have to be a constant student of this. If you want to get better, there's not a single thing that you can do 
more than that. I mean, that is the best possible thing that you could do is to be uh, always be a student of it, which means learning, uh, reading, uh, you know, reading blogs, listening to interviews, watching videos, um, reading magazines, looking out for new products, you know, looking at your old mixes and criticizing yourself, listening to mixes that come out from the big name guys or the, you know, famous artists or whatever and analyzing them, you know, how, what do I like about this? What do I not like about this? Um, what would I do differently? What, could I even get close? You know, can I compete with that? Uh, you know, and just being a student of it, being an active student of it, making it essentially a part of your lifestyle. You know, there are people that do it. Um, if you really want to get better at it, you have to sort of immerse yourself in it. Uh, you know, you, you have to, you have to really care about it and really do it. Um, because yeah, it, it's not the easiest thing in the world. It's not the easiest thing to do. And a lot of people get over that initial hump of, um, you know, they think that it's so easy because they'll, you know, move a couple faders around and put on some EQ and compression. And suddenly they're like, oh yeah, I'm, I'm getting pretty good. And I've only been doing it for six months. Um, and then suddenly they, they tend to realize, wow, when you compare my mix to this guy's mix, mine sounds terrible. Uh, you know, just in comparison. And, and so your brain's always going to be playing tricks on you and, and you're always going to hear the mixes that you did a year ago as not even close to what you did today. Um, and even though it might not seem like you're improving, I can guarantee that you are. And if you want to jumpstart your improvement, you know, you have to be diligent and you have to treat it like it's a serious practice. You know, if you treat it like it's just a hobby, then you're going to be improving at like a hobby rate. You know, if you treat it like it's just sort of, yeah, something I do every now and then, then that's how fast you will improve. If you treat it like it's a serious discipline, then you will improve much faster because you will be committed to it. One more thing is that you need to be able to recognize the wrong advice. I'll give you an example. One time I was reading an interview uh, with somebody, and uh, I don't remember if it was in a book or online, and I remember reading about all these really interesting drum techniques, and I thought, man, I can't believe that that worked, and this guy's you know, a Grammy-winning producer, apparently, and all this stuff, and that's great. And uh, there were some really interesting drum techniques and guitar techniques and all kinds of stuff. And then I looked at some of the credits. Uh, I looked up the guy and looked at some of the album credits, and I just remember thinking... Uh, okay, well, I'll listen to them. And so I pulled up some of them on YouTube and I thought, wow, I don't like these at all. I think they sound kind of weird. And so it's one of those things where I had spent all this time researching this, you know, reading this article and or this interview. And I thought that I was learning all these cool new techniques only to find, well, I don't really like how those sound. Um, so you, you got to be careful because all advice can be good advice, but it might not be the right advice. Um, even me, for example, uh, you listening to this podcast is a sign that you want to get better. But uh, that doesn't necessarily mean that everything I'm going to show you or talk about will be relevant or will work for your situation or, you know, 
if I have a show about mixing this or mixing that or this technique or that technique, it might not work for you. Even on the show where we did, for example, recording guitar and vocals at the same time, I gave you a couple of techniques, a handful of techniques that work well for recording guitar, but you might have your own and you should probably try to find your own or your own variations because you might say, you know what, those are his techniques, but maybe that doesn't work for me. Um, maybe I do something different entirely. Uh, and, and that's okay. We don't have to agree all the time. You don't have to agree with me at all the time. And I always advise people, um, especially when it comes to audio, that it's never really worth it to try to spend time. Like audio engineers will tend to argue about certain things, right? It's just kind of, it just happens. But I don't think it's ever really useful to argue with the sense of, I'm going to try to convince the other guy that my technique is better or that he is wrong. Now, if it's a quantifiable error, something that he said or, or she said that was wrong, for example, if you say something like, well, dither is the same thing as just adding noise or that 16-bit audio is superior to 24-bit audio, I mean, then go for it. You might as well argue because those things are incorrect. Uh, if you know what you're talking about, of course. But if this guy says, I think the Audix i5 is far superior on snare drum than the SM57, there's not much of a point in trying to argue the other side. There really isn't, because for his productions, for his room, for his ear, that mic accomplishes what he wants. And there's no point in, you know, arguing. But... If somebody gives you advice that says something like the SM57 is a terrible mic on uh, on snare drum and you should be using the Telefunken M80 instead, you know, I would avoid that type of advice. Uh, it really, you know, you should be careful of advice that says things like that, that this is the best way to do this, or this is the proper way to do that, or this is the right way to record a vocal, or the wrong way. You know, there's not really a right or wrong way. But instead, again, you got to make sure that you, you ask the right question at first, but then you also have to sort through the advice and try to figure out what applies most to you. Now, if you ask the right question, you're more likely to get a better answer. Um, but there's always going to be those people sitting behind the computer screen, you know, on YouTube or on forums that are just passing out poor advice. You know, you can type in anything into YouTube, um, but don't expect whatever you see to be, like, perfect advice. I mean, anybody can upload a video to YouTube. You know this. I know this. I mean, so just, you do have to sort through it. So, in terms of getting advice, I usually try to recommend, you know, books to people or podcasts or things like that. But, uh, um, you know, try to just find sources that are consistent um, people that you like on, on YouTube, uh, you know, keep listening to this podcast if you like my advice. Um, I try to be pretty open-ended and pretty open-minded with the advice that I give because I don't think that there's a right or wrong way to make records. Uh, I think that everything is sort of subjective and that you should learn to be to have vision and try to achieve that vision, not to just... How do you EQ a kick drum? Because there's not a way, there's not a single way 
to record kick drum or or a, a single way to to do this uh, or that you know um, you know so try to find places that you like things you trust um, I have my preferences things that I think are good sources of information uh, and I have the ones that I think are poor sources of information that I avoid and you know I I stick to those and so I, I stick to the ones I know and like. Um, but anyway, learn to recognize poor advice, what it looks like, you know, and, and, and try not to read too far into it. So, again, I know this topic this topic is sort of odd to talk about. I know that it's not particularly the most interesting podcast topic, but I think it's really important. I get the question a lot through email, you know, how do I get better? I feel like I'm not improving and there are lots of ways, right? And and I hope that this has given you some things to think about. I hope that it has maybe sparked something in your mind that you didn't think about before. In reality, you just have to do it and you have to be smart about it. And there aren't any shortcuts, okay? There just aren't. If you want to get better at it, you have to put in the time. You know, and it bothers me so much when people think that, you know, you can't look at audio as a get-rich-quick scheme because, first of all, uh, getting rich and audio are like not even in the same dictionary. Uh, <laughs> but at, uh, on the second part of that, I mean, you can't look at it as like a scheme, like, oh, I'm going to get good at audio, like it's going to happen overnight. You know, it takes hard work. It really does. It's a craft. It's something that you have to develop and get good at, right? It's not something that is just a fast track way into, you know, and, and there's so many websites out there that are selling, you know, these fast track courses or like online courses to audio and, you know, quick le- references to audio and all this stuff. And, or you sign up and pay all this, this money to somebody that's just going to tell you, you know, how to, like all these weird preset things that make you think like you're getting better. Um, or they might tell you, you know, there's a million of those things out there. There are some that are legitimate and some that are not. But, you know, my advice to you is to never get so sucked into something that, you know, you ignore the simple fact that you need time and patience and experience doing audio and you need to be smart about it. You need to learn the tools, learn, learn the tools if you don't understand how to work the tools, it's like, how can you be a chef if you don't know how to use a spatula or if you don't know when to use a, a whisk or when to use an oven versus a grill? I mean, how can you even remotely start to get good at something if you don't understand the tools of the trade? If you don't understand what a multiband compressor does or, or a normal compressor or what an EQ does or how, you know, the different parameters on a reverb or a delay or, you know, on a limiter or on any of these things. And if you don't trust your monitoring setup, if you don't trust your room, how can you expect to advance? Uh, I just, it, it's baffling to me, you know. Um, I know that some people say things like, Oh, it's not about the gear, it's about the ears and all this stuff. And and yes, I think we all would agree that given the choice between 10 years experience with minimal gear and zero years experience and all the gear you could ever want, most people would pick the engineer with 10 years experience um, because he probably knows more what he's talking about. And I agree, I fully agree. 
Um, but at the same time, you know, we had a show about workflow recently, and and I think it it really resonates to that fact that you know, big name mixer X Y Z could probably make a record on cheaper gear, but he doesn't. He uses his gear and he uses his workflow. And he's spent the time and money on that stuff for a reason. It's not just because he can. You know, he uses this piece of gear and he uses these monitors and he has this guy tune his room and he had this guy design his studio for a reason because he knows that it gets him better results and it helps him continually work in a, in a trustable environment and he can trust his workflow and count on it. Um, you know, so I think it's really important to have a good workflow. And we talked about workflow just recently, and I think it's so important to getting better, uh, to improving. Because, again, uh, if you can remove limitations, as many limitations as you can, and there was actually a nice little back and forth on the Facebook uh, group about this recently, um, in my opinion, is that if you remove as many limitations as you can from your workflow and uh, is remove as many problems as you can from your workflow, whether it's, you know, uh, from buying something new or upgrading something or, or learning a new technique or uh, whatever it may be, then if you remove those, then you are free to to focus on the music. You know, if you're having a problem getting mixes to translate and your room isn't treated, I can probably guarantee you that that's a problem and you need to get that treated because if you can then trust your room, if you can fully trust your room and your monitoring setup, then you can know that, okay, well, it's not that. It's me. I'm not hearing things right or I'm, you know, I need to adjust something. Um, you know, and, and there's so many things I could keep going on and on, but the point is, um, you know, you need to be able to trust your workflow and understand the tools at your disposal. I mean, if you, again, let's compare another two audio engineer situation. Let's say you have two guys that have, you know, lesser gear, but one understands how to use his gear and milk every ounce of good sound out of it. And the other guy who has better gear, but doesn't have really, doesn't really know how to use it as well. Again, we'd all pick the guy that knows how to milk the best sound out of his gear. And it's because he, you know, understanding the tools and how to get as much out of them as you possibly can is just so, so, so important. Um, it's one of the very first things that I talk about in my book um, in, in the early chapters about how understanding the tools is so important. And it's one of the best ways um, to, to continually improve is to understand the tools. Let's use another cooking analogy. Uh, if you were a professional chef, the last thing that you would want to be worried about is your skills using a knife, like chopping, you know, or, you know, you know, <laughs> or, or using an oven or something like that. Like those are fundamental things that you need to know how to do very well if you plan on going anywhere. You know, you don't have to be sitting there in the middle of a meal thinking, well, I don't really know how to chop onions, so that's going to be a problem. Uh, if, if, I mean, if that makes sense to you, right? If that, if that analogy makes sense. So, you know, you don't want to be trying to engineer something and be trying to mix or whatever and be like, well, I don't really get compression, so I'm either not going to do it or I'm just going to kind of use a preset or fumble around. 
I mean, if you don't let that stuff go, you know, ignored. Like if you don't understand something, learn about it. Ask a good question. You know, uh, think about it. R- read up on it. Um, request it as a podcast episode, right? And I might do it. I've done that many times now. Um, so again, I hope this podcast has given you some things to think about. I hope it's helped you. Uh, I hope that you continue to get better. I hope that my podcast is helping you get better. Um, I always appreciate the emails and the comments. Uh, you know, I, I really do appreciate them. They keep me, uh, keep me going. Um, if you have any questions at all, uh, feel free to email me at recordingloungepodcast at gmail.com. Uh, you can check out the blog at recordinglounge.blogspot.com. Uh, there's also a donate button, a PayPal donate button over on the blog uh, where you can set up either a like monthly donation or a one-time donation. Uh, if you want to, if you want to help, uh, uh, you know, offset some of the costs of bandwidth and the more shows I get, the more content that comes out. I mean, I still have to pay for bandwidth and whatnot. And once I, once I work up to the point of getting the website, which is, uh, that's a, that's another story completely. I'm going to have to get some more, you know, bandwidth and space and hosting and all that stuff and, uh, keeping the, the domain registered and all these things. And, uh, and again, I don't make any money on this show. I'm not sponsored by anybody. I'm not endorsed. Uh, so, you know, if you feel uh, if you feel like that's something you want to do to support the podcast, check out the blog, recordinglounge.blogspot.com, and up on the right side, you should see a uh, donate button for PayPal. Uh, you can also check out the Facebook page, which is facebook.com slash recording lounge. Uh, be a part of the, uh, of the community, ask questions there. You can contact me there directly. If you'd rather, uh, rather than email, uh, you can also help and talk to people that are answering questions and you can see, uh, updates, uh, on, on the Facebook page as well. Um, uh, but maybe a better way to get updates is by signing up for the mailing list and no spam free, no obligation cancel at any time mailing list, which you can do at recordingloungepodcast.com slash sign up. Again, it's no spam. I usually use it to uh, email updates uh, about the book or about the podcast when new podcast episodes come out. Um, I appreciate all of you that have signed up and uh, you can get off of it at any time if you want to. Um, So again, thanks for joining us for the podcast. Uh, I've got some cool shows coming up. Um, Please feel free to send me any show suggestions uh, in in email. That's where I get a lot of my ideas for podcasts is from your show suggestions. Uh, So don't be shy. Uh, Go ahead and send me an email, recordingloungepodcast at gmail.com. And I will talk to you guys next time. See ya.